A quick note for all our Dutch listeners. Digital Werven's digital event is live. April 11, 12 and 13. Four talks a day, directly in your email box, with international keynotes like Hung Lee, Jerry Crispin and Bill Borman, and case studies from EY, the City of Utrecht, Diamond Shipyards and many more. Check it out at www.digitaal-werven.nl Welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you and all things talent. I'm Kelly Robinson from Southern California, and today I'm joined by Jim Durban, aka the Indeed Whisperer from Dallas, Texas. <laughs> welcome, Jim. You're the co-host for today. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me on. And you're welcome. You're welcome. So today we're doing a first for Talent Savvy. We've actually got an article and we've got the author of the article in Mr. Jim Durbin. We're going to be talking about trends in HR. It's an article that's going to be published shortly. So we will put the document and links to it in the show notes. But let's get straight into it. Jim, you talk a lot about trends. Yes. And uh, one of the things that I particularly was attracted to, because I see it all of the time, is talking about user licenses or HR software user licenses. So can we dive into that a little bit? Let me get your thoughts on it to start with. Yeah, I think it's an important one. It's the it's the first note uh, in those trends. They're all based on history. It's not like I'm I'm not Nostradamus. Uh, I'm more like uh, Edward Tolby, <laughs> which is we've seen all this happen before, but now we've got this new tech and we think it's fancy. And one of the things that I find fascinating as people talk about progress is we keep getting excited about software. But I've I've trained a lot of people. I spent a lot of time using software and training people on software. Some ten thousand people have paid me to teach them how to use LinkedIn Recruiter or Google or Facebook or MySpace back in the day. MySpace recruiting was once a thing. It was fantastic because they told you how much they made. And careful, Jim, you're sh- sharing your age with people now. <laughs> well, it was, you know, before JT took it over. But um, it was always interesting because I would train people to use it. And it's funny because most software that you get, the developers build it and nobody knows how to use it. And what happens is, is you start using the software, you get a little bit like spreadsheets. Why well, you get a lot of value out of spreadsheets, but you're going to pay someone $100 an hour to do data cubing on Excel. Very few people know how to do that. Now that we have Salesforce and everybody has an ATS and in the HR space, there's CRMs. We get all excited about this new software, but the truth is, is we don't use it very often. Here's a number that should shock you a little bit. Less than 50%, and this may be apocryphal, it's been a while since I've seen it, but less than 50% of LinkedIn recruiter licenses are used on a monthly basis. Not a daily basis, a monthly basis. So people are paying enormous amounts for these recruiting licenses and nobody's signing in because they don't know how to use them. So they bring me in, I'd start training people on it. They all thought the software was Google or Amazon. They just put in a word and magically applicants appear. And we're not even talking about deep Boolean. We're talking about just the basics of using that. And this has been true on everything that I've touched. It's why I first started calling myself the Indeed Whisperer uh, years ago is because I went in and taught people how to source on Indeed. So we've been to SourceCon. We know the best people in the world who source. None of them would ever think about training on Indeed. I'd say, I take three days to train someone on Indeed. And they're like, you train people on Indeed? You're like, well, yeah, don't you? Because I can get twice as many candidates as you can because I've taught my sourcers how to use the software. They had no clue that there were wildcard operators or that you had to do a search. And, and the more you dig into that, and the more you begin to realize that we buy software, the training is, what, 40 minutes? And then nobody ever looks at it again. There are a number of people who bring up their software licenses and don't know how to check whether or not there's usage reports. And it's solely on managers and HR. This is not the fault of the vendors. It's, it's just fascinating. We're spending all this money and people aren't using it. And the question is, is can they use it? Is software even useful anymore? 
Well, first of all, the reason I, I, I jumped on this part when I read the trends document is that I see this in pretty much every customer that we have the pleasure of working with is one of the first things we will do is look and say, well, what, what's, what's on the bench? What are you spending money on that you're not actually getting any value from? But I'm surprised you say LinkedIn Recruiter because that, that's one of the more expensive tools for people to use. <laughs> it sort of can be. And you'd think that if you're investing that sort of money, that it's a, a tool that you're going to be using on a daily basis. It's not, if they are using it, they're using it badly. But the truth is, is that they don't get the results they're looking for. They jump in and they'll tell you, uh, there's no, there's no candidates left here. I mean, think about the ridiculousness of paying me thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars to sit down and teach you how to use LinkedIn recruiter, not in a certified way, but as a recruiter would use it because there's LinkedIn doesn't understand the difference between high volume technology, healthcare. One of the worst experiences I ever felt bad for a salesperson was sitting in a place in San Francisco in Berkeley and a salesperson comes in. He had two hours for LinkedIn. They just bought it. I had two hours to do advanced Boolean. And he sits down and he goes, here we go. And types in doctors into the software, right? He literally typed the word doctors. Nothing came up. And he sits there for a second because <laughs> they don't call themselves doctors. <laughs> right, exactly. Like that's a small thing. What's funny is they, they've changed that now. They simplified it, dumbed it down. So now you don't have to write chief financial officer, CFO. So they made a number of cuts. But that first came out, this poor guy sitting there going, I guess I know doctors on LinkedIn because he didn't know how to use it like we did. He could have typed MD and there were a lot or physicians or any other thing, but that seems like a small problem, but it's everywhere. It's not just the high-end stuff. When you go look for housekeepers, how do you, is housekeeper one word or two, Kelly? Well, we call them a cleaner where I come from. So, <laughs> yep. Cleaners, maids, janitorial staff, you can use all five. So when you call them a housekeeper, it doesn't matter what we call it. What matters is what they enter it and they're in LinkedIn and Indeed and ZipRecruiter in their profiles. Exactly. So if you just search housekeeper, because that's the right way to spell it, and you don't search house space keeper, you're missing out on half the people. Not even to mention the house keppers that are out there. <laughs> Those are my favorite because no one's ever called a house kepper. <laughs> and when you call, they're so grateful because they figured the resume was just bad. And I don't need them to be great spellers. I need them to be efficient in the work that they're doing. So the challenge here isn't just and it get worse. So this this has been years in the making. Not everybody knows how to use it. It's not that you're bad at their jobs. It's that we don't tend to train our recruiters. It's, we don't tend to train anybody anymore. It's a it's a real challenge. There's not enough managers. Instead of two or three people, now they have ten or twelve. So that's a failing that we don't train people on how to do their jobs. And so what did they do? They went and they made software easier. They took OOD and they started making it more complex and you have to fill out the forms. And the problem now is all the benefits that you get from using software require you to be a super user. So when I say things like the software industry has reached negative returns, I don't mean that the software doesn't work, but it certainly doesn't work the way that the developers intended. And the funny thing to me is when I do campaigns, I had it happen again the other day. I'm talking to someone who builds software. They're explaining why we get the results we do. And the guy says, well, that's not how we built it. And I'm like, yeah, why? <laughs> but you don't understand my job. Why would I use it the way you intended? I'm using it to do my job. And that difference, because we don't really understand how to use it to use our jobs, there's no way for any developer to build something that works for us. And by the way, when it does work, it's seamless in the background. We love it. You love the fact that you go to Starbucks, it automatically connects to the Google Wi-Fi. You don't have to think about it. We don't remember back in 2009, 2010, where you had to assign yourself and make sure you added yourself each time. And if you didn't, there wasn't enough network to use your iPhone. So we don't notice things when they're seamless, but we don't have the ability to build software because nobody knows how to do their jobs with that software. And that, that's a huge challenge for us when we're not using the software and we're spending all this money on it and assuming we're going to have these massive gains. 
Exactly. And I think it's a disconnect I've seen in, in many places, actually. When you talk to a development team, and I've been fortunate enough to be involved in, in building software, when you talk to a development team and they say, well, we think it should work this way, it makes perfect sense until you put it into practice. And then you realize that that's not the way people work. And we've seen that from, you know, from even all of the bigger companies, you know, when they've, when they've moved into HR or talent and they, they start to do small projects, you look at it and go, that doesn't make sense. It's not how we work. But you're definitely right. We see that everywhere we go, or I certainly do, which is companies have stacked their HR tech stack with almost like gym memberships, you know, things that they're paying for that n- nobody uses. Definitely a, an issue in the industry overall. I want to touch. I want to go back and touch on LinkedIn because I think there's some gold in there. If you had to pick, you know, one or two things that I want to say trends, but are the weak points for people using LinkedIn? Is there is there something you've seen where you've trained all these people that's a kind of common error or a common thing that you could improve on? Yes, there's a huge one, which is it's the idea of it's Google. You think that if I t- if you type in all the keywords and all the titles that are in there, a software developer with these 15 things who has this experience, that it's magically going to pipe up. And if not, it's going to give us close enough so we can sort through the resumes. And that's not how any of that works, especially LinkedIn Recruiter. Re- LinkedIn Recruiter, if you think of it, it's one of these softwares that you start searching. And that first search, let's say there's a million files. I know there's a lot more than that. But to make these, you say there's a million files you're looking at. And you do a search and that takes it down to 100,000 files. Once you've done that, the results that you see are those 100,000. It's not the entire database. You have restricted the search down to just those 100,000. So you keep making steps until you've got 1,000 people or 500 people. And then you think you're done. It doesn't occur to you that you have to go all the way back up to the beginning because maybe the first thing you typed in was a mistake. So they're searching it like it's searching the entire web as opposed to breaking it down to narrow, narrow filters. This is why when you do something like there's a seek out that allows you to clear the filter, but it's the same issue because that's how databases work quickly. If you don't, if you go back to the old school, like something like a Taleo or the old Oracle databases where you do a search, it takes two to three minutes sometimes to search everything possible. So for speed and to not break the database, they're slowing down what you can see, but people don't know how to search like that. So then they go, well, there's zero people here in New York that are software developers. And it's because you mistyped Java or something like that. You called it J-A-V-V-A and they can't find any of those or it finds six, right? So it's the way we search. We don't understand how to do databases. It's not like doing a SQL search. It's the speed of the database, which is so important for performance. And especially when using cloud-based software doesn't work because the human doesn't understand. I'm not searching everything in existence. I've made choices that have restricted my choices. That's an easy thing to teach someone who knows software. Almost impossible to teach somebody whose sole idea is using TikTok, Google, or YouTube to find all the answers in the world because they're looking for the top 10 answers. And if it's not there, they go back to doing something else. It doesn't occur to them that maybe the way they did it was the problem. You use the word tool quite a lot there. And I think people need to really remember that, right? This is a tool. It's going to give you an identifier of a potential person. But you still got to connect with them. We still got to use our human skills. We still got to reach out. There's no instant easy button. Well, there is. Send a message, right? And how many of those, how many LinkedIn messages do you get or how many email messages you get each day that you just ignore? Hundreds, right? But that's a consequence of searching too. So when I would train people, I would teach them to put pictures. Think of what we do. We sit at a desk and we stare at spreadsheets and we stare at at machines, that's not how human beings think. So if you start by thinking of a map and you're looking at pictures on the wall, no one has print anymore, but put a bunch of fake people up on the wall and look at them when you're talking and sending messages, your brain is better at communicating. 
The problem we have is that people sit there alone working from home and they don't realize that what it takes to search is not what it takes to send a message. So their brain is doing two different things. And that's one of the reasons that these messages are so bad is that they would never send that message to their friend or to their mother or to someone they know, but they write these horrible messages because they're in search mode and the human brain isn't meant to stare at spreadsheets. Teaching that, again, takes some time. If you've been doing it for 10, 20 years, this is why older recruiters seem to do so much better because they've got all this background of talking to 10,000 people. We don't train new recruiters on this. We teach them to stare at the screen and fill out the buttons. And then we're surprised when they act like robots and sound like robots and can't find jobs afterwards because no one ever taught them how to be human. Like that's a really weird thing. We used to joke about that. Why would you teach someone to be authentic or transparent or human? We literally have to do that now because we've taught them fill out this form so that we have data to make sure we hit our KPI for the quarter. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, I got classic example. I got one this morning. It might have been last night, but I saw it this morning. And literally the opening line was parentheses, dear underscore prospect name <laughs> or dear underscore prospect underscore name. I'm like, oh, come on. At least even make the effort to hide your variables before you send me a message. Well, that's because it was a template. So, so there, is, there is definitely a lack. They probably didn't. That's the other thing is they don't know what those say. So all they did, they oh, they set up a bracket, they added a parenthesis and don't realize their entire message is now wrong because exactly. they went in to change it. Yeah, it's, uh, but no, the software developer didn't build it that way, Kelly. You're just using it wrong. <laughs> of course. That's what you hear. Yeah, you're, the problem is that's not how we built it. And, that, and that's the real question. Has software gone past the point of where human beings can figure out how to use it? There's so many assumptions. Have you rented an apartment in the last five years? No, I haven't personally, no. So there's a Real Pages and Appfolio are two giant ones that are out there. And they basically took the property management role and put it into software screens. And now it looks like you're trying to buy a flight on Expedia. It has taken the human element completely out. So the first couple of times I ran into that, I'm like, I've been a good tenant, paid my rent. I pay a high value here. It's been four years or three years. We're going to redo it. And you're treating me like a... I just got out of prison and have no credit. I don't understand. It wasn't them. It was literally the software dehumanizing everything the person could do. They couldn't move to the next screen because then they wouldn't get the right reporting. So it took away the ability. This is why people don't like renting in apartments anymore. There's there's no way to just talk to them. Now, there's bias issues. There's problems of uh, making sure that the, the landlords are getting their rent and you have the right credit checks, but there's lost that human touch. And so basically, if you're perfect, you can rent something out, but Perfect people don't rent apartments. They buy houses. So we've got this weird mix match between the softers move past our ability as humans to deal with it. But a lot of people who haven't done it have no clue. How do you assess the tenant? You can't trust someone to do it. So you have to use the software. So, But now people don't want to rent from you. And they get angry and they leave nasty things. And, and it creates this anger. And, this, and when this hits inside the corporation, which is you see, God, I remember those. I hate it when they have those stupid stickers they put on your computer. If it's not in Recruit Max, it didn't happen. I think that was the one that got me to quit, <laughs> which is if it's not in the system, it doesn't count. I actually, I quit a job uh, for K-Force because I first got yelled at because I wasn't putting things in the system because it was too slow. It took two and a half minutes to load. I called people faster than that. I just made paper notes. And they said, you've got to put it in the system. So I would stay after for an hour or two for almost a month to put all my notes from the day in because it's that or be less productive. And I got a, I got a thank you and an email. Good job, everybody. Jim Durbin did the best in the region for running at Recruit Max. And I start swearing at the computer screen 
And then I, I, I couldn't believe it. I had to try to add two modern. I just couldn't believe this. I'm like, this is, this is what you consider productive. And I pretty much stormed out and I went and I started my own company shortly after that. Because why, why would I spend my time wasting it so that you can, because some guy, some VP spent a million dollars on Recruit Max and had to show that people were using it. And I'm like, okay, well, then you just lost me and my performance. And we don't think about that. We're losing our high performers with dumb software, but we're also keeping people who learn to play the game. They get just a little good at that software. How many experts do you know to software? And they're the only one who knows. And they're not expert. They're just better than everybody else. And now they're like, oh, this person's genius at Excel or genius at, uh, at MC or something like that. And all it is is they had an hour to look at it and they can do the basics. It's, it's very bizarre. Bring that full circle because therein lies the quandary, right? We know there's lots of people within practitioners within the recruitment industry that are looking for work or being laid off at the moment. It's an epidemic in the industry. So we, we know we have to be more productive. And in order to do that, we need tools that allow us to you know, achieve more goals or, or squeeze more out of every hour. But if we had to look at an HR tech stack, where typically do you see or do you think the wastage is? And I'll throw the first one in. I think I see resume search licenses just so underused, overbought, underused by so many companies. But outside of that, or where are you seeing the money being wasted? It's even worse for resume licenses. You have a few people using them badly, thousands and thousands of matches, scouring and completely devouring a pool of people and then having nothing to do the next day. And, and they've also wasted they're sending bad messages and then other people don't use it at all. So the average might look acceptable to you, but the truth is you have even less people using it than you think. A couple of power users that are using it badly. <laughs> and, it, and it's based on the results, right? But if you track people by usage... I think that's a huge issue. I honestly think the constant changes, I think Teams and Slack and Skype are ruining our concentration because the number of people who send me a note that say, hello, Jim, and then I'm supposed to sit there while they type. Sometimes I swear, get up and walk away from the computer and go do something. I would rather you type out the whole thing or just ask the question. I don't, you don't need to ask for my attention because now you've taken me from my day. I think that's a huge productivity loss because you sit there. It's like texting. When you see someone did 20,000 texts, we would never be allowed to do this, Kelly. But if you really wanted to be good at finding out if somebody was good, give me your phone. Let me see your phone and let me see how you use it. Not just the games, but I want to see your text. I want to see your notifications. And I can tell you as a headhunter whether or not that person's going to be effective or a moron because they've lost their attention and they might as well be doing four shots of tequila every hour for the whole day. They can't focus. They can't get things done because of the constant interruptions and notifications. And we know this. In fact, if you really want someone to do well, you hire them and say, I need you to focus on this for the next three hours. Nobody gets to bother you. When you give people that time, they do really well. When you constantly are bugging them. And I mean, I have to teach people, wait an hour when you respond. Don't train people to think that you're available. Turn your do not disturb on all the time because otherwise you're not going to focus. That kills productivity because with, if you had your time back, maybe you'd go learn some of that software, how to use it. You'd have time to figure it out. But instead we sit there and we write emails and then we spend an hour writing an email to make sure the tone isn't right because God forbid you offend somebody. And then we have to email back, thank you. And 17 reply alls, take me off this lid. The, the amount of productivity hacks that could occur if you just didn't have to be polite over email and teams, I think I think that would fix just about everything. But everybody wants instant access. <laughs> they do. Interesting point. I've experienced customers that to the point you're saying about adding stuff into the ATS, they actually weren't. So when you looked at their the number of candidates that were applying for their jobs to the ratio of the people applying to jobs 
or interested in working for the company to being presented to the hiring managers, it was nearly 60 to 1. And you look at that and go, okay, we've got a real, attra- real attraction problem. But it's not an attraction problem. It's just the fact that the people are not adding to a database. They don't like, you know, to your point, you said you didn't like your ATS. I think it was similar in this case. You didn't like it. It felt like a chore. So it just got ignored. Yeah, it was too slow. It was too slow or there were too many things or you made a mistake. And I think so. the ATSs are obviously some because the older they are, the more time it takes. We had one guy, I'm not supposed to mention the company's name anymore when I work for them, but they're a big company that I used to work for. We had a guy in Barcelona that applied for like every job this company had ever done, like 5,000 applications. And the problem is every job that you touched that he applied to would load his 5,000 applications. So it would take three and a half minutes to pull up a job that this guy was on, but nobody wanted to fix that. I'm like, you're looking at catastrophic database failure if you don't address this. I, I know how this is built. This is not going to work. I'm like, I'm not sure if we could stop him. I'm like, he's not even in the same country. Just cut off his access and delete these 5,000 applications. It was terrible. But that how much productivity did that one person cost us? Now imagine you get somebody who finds that out and they pay a guy to sit in a cafe in Barcelona and do the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, sometimes people are just like that. That's what the whole dark web is about. So we don't even deal with things like fraud yet. But imagine what happens if someone starts using our software against us. This new, I don't want to say the name of the thing, but this there's an autocomplete task. And I think it's a browser extension in the Chrome store that allows you to apply to like 50 jobs a day. And if you pay $129, you can apply to 750 jobs a day. It's, stuff is not new. It's been there for a while, but someone got it on TikTok. Holy crap. Do you realize that if, if just a small, if 10% of the people out there started applying to 100 jobs a day, the amount of application, first, the first thing it goes like, hey, we have a lot of new applications to our career site. I guess we can stop advertising on these job boards. And then you realize it's that old story of 1,000 people applied to your company, but they applied to 1,000 other companies. So all of you think that your traffic's gone up, but your contact rate goes down from 25% or 50% all the way down to 0.001%. It's their fake numbers. And software has enabled this and software can't fix that because we're so addicted to easy apply. It's software created a problem that now software can't fix. That should terrify us. Nobody's even thinking about it. There's like, oh, more applications. Great. My recruiters will be able to sort through those. Well, and that's the problem. They won't, right? The ones we fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What's the thing that everybody complains about? I applied for a job and I never heard anything from the recruiter. But to your point, if there's people out there using software and applying for 750 jobs a day, times up by a couple of thousand people, there's no way you can reach out to, as a human. There's no way you can reach out to that. And that's if humans do it. What happens when bots start applying? Because they're building bots AIs now that apply for you. Well, you know where we're going, right? My bot will talk to your bot and eventually our bots will get together and schedule us an appointment. Something like that. That's funny about that because uh, do you use Calendly? Yes. I wasn't Calendly. What was the what was the one? There was one that was uh it was a virtual administrative assistant and you could send it and it would answer emails and schedule something for you. I forget the name of it. Oh, Wade and something. Yeah, Wade and Wendy, I think. Wendy. And people would get so excited. Like, I love your admin assistant. She's so professional and got me right to the point. But the problem is I stopped using that. I don't know if it was Wade and Wendy. It was something like that, though. The, the problem was I stopped using it because I would walk into a meeting totally unprepared. They had had three or four emails. They thought about it. They knew the time. I was often late or didn't know because it was just something on my calendar. I didn't know who it was, how to prepare. And so I'd walk in. It wasn't as important to me because I invested no time in scheduling that. It's kind of, so people don't think about that. They were human cost to using software. If you and I plan something out and I don't make that call, I feel bad. If you're on my schedule and I don't know anything about it, even if it pops up as a reminder and says, this is what you're looking at today, which is their pitch 
well, that's okay. Hey, I'll tell you what to do. I don't care because I don't know you. I've got nothing invested in this meeting. So it seems like a great idea because it saves time. In reality, it kills my attention. And now you're mad because I seem like I'm unfocused when we come into the meeting. And I am. There's no way for me to be focused because I didn't set it up. I'm not thinking about it. Very good. Very good. That's a pretty crazy one, right? <laughs> uh, well, you got me thinking. I want to wrap this up because we could debate this or discuss this forever. And I kind of want to wrap up on a couple of thoughts, which is we talked about unused licensing within your HR tech stack. And at the moment, there's this, you know, this constant push to cut down your headcount, right? Maybe we look at that first before we start letting people go. And maybe we save some licenses and we invest it back in the people to make it better at your job, to your point. Teach people to use LinkedIn, teach people to get the best out of Indeed rather than just trying to learn from a help file, actually giving them some real practical advice. So if we're going to leave this podcast with anything, it's look at your tech stack, look at the licenses. Are you getting value? And if you're not, could you spend that money better elsewhere? Yeah, the way we do our budgets is pretty bad. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they're not fungible. If you fix one thing or pull it off, it's just seen as savings because we're in operations. Instead of looking at it like my total budget's five million, how do I get the most out of it? And if I have to cut a million or two million, how do I get the most out of it? But we're locked into our licenses and that's harder to do, right? So it really is. How, how do we, when we're saving money, how do I protect someone? Because when you hire someone new, I guarantee you're not asking them how well they use Indeed. Do you use Indeed? Yes, I use Indeed. Do you use it well? Of course, I use it all the time. Oh, you must be great. That's the extent of our interviewing because the managers don't know how to use any of the softwares because they don't, have, it's, time, it's a time problem. But what company has time to learn? That's the scary part. There you go. All right, Jim, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to doing another co-host with you in a few weeks. That'd be good. Any, any last parting words, words of wisdom for people? Yeah, stop teaching humans to be human. Give them time to be human. <laughs> but there we go. On that note, thank you very much for your time. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Bye, y'all.